You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back to talk about movies again, and uh, that's what we do here. And uh, we love watching them, we love talking about them, and we love sharing that with you. That sounds like a sales pitch, if there ever was one, right? does, real smooth. Real smooth. It's Will and Sammy. We are back. Um, I want to address something in the intro. I noticed that uh, I meant to say something to Will about this before we started recording, so I'm kind of hitting in between the eyes with this as we start. It's nothing major, but I noticed there was a review recently on iTunes about how we uh, uh, we seem to be uh, not liking. So, so this is inevitable, right? Uh, I don't like the uh, Marvel films as much as some people. And uh, one person who uh, I shall remain nameless for the show uh, said after 14 years, uh, he's leaving the show because uh, of my thoughts, basically, on Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I just want to address that and say thank you for listening for 14 years, first of all. And second of all, um, yeah, I think, you know, movies are out there for everybody to have opinions of. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've ever said I hated anything. Uh, I think I go out of my way to not say that, as a matter of fact. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't like it. You liked it. Okay good to go i just want to address that because i find it kind of odd to stop listening to something for that reason you know what i mean well i i actually saw that review oh did you yeah i meant to say something to you and I, and i just it, it slipped my mind but it's funny we're we yeah we've always gone out of our way to say our opinions are just that their opinions yeah to each their own. The heart wants what it wants. Yeah. One man's trash, another man's treasure. Um, and it's funny because just a couple of days ago, I'm not turn this into the gripe fest, um, but I, I, I had seen, and I'll get to this at some point, I, I'd watched Megan. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I saw all this too. So <laughs> I never saw so much uh, interaction all of a sudden. <laughs> wow. So there was a guy, again, who shall remain nameless in the, the group on, on Facebook, who... 
basically said, it's a me problem. I'm the problem. <laughs> yeah. And I said, hang on. I'm a, I cannot <laughs> like his, um, his performance. I think he stunk. I think he's been forgettable in anything I've seen him in and still say I'm willing to give him another chance. But that wasn't good enough and there was allusions to maybe – Racism? I don't know. Like I was. It was well, it was, I I think there's always allusions to that when you say you don't like somebody. Well, and it was just weird. He's like, well, he this is his third language he's working in, and 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 I thought, oh, that's great, but it doesn't change the fact that I think he stunk. I don't Correct. like good for him. I said representation is important. Yes. If you know me, you know that's something I'm a big advocate of. But mm-hmm. um, I'm allowed to not like his performance. Yeah. You're allowed to not like. Marvel films, yeah, just as much as people are allowed to like Ronnie Chang's performance and are allowed to like Marvel films, and that's one of the things that we've. I'd say that's like the bedrock, the foundation of our show, our group. Um, what we do is inclusion and respect for one's opinions and tastes. As long as they love film, they they're welcome. Yeah, yeah, you can like or dislike anything. You know, I, I don't take it personal. So, yes, I mean, you like, we've talked about this, you like Marvel films more than I do, and yet we've remained friends for the entire time. Yeah, you're still my Valentine. We never we never go online and blast each other or blast uh, the establishment or anything. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. People get, I don't know where criticism of a thing, be it a, a dinner plate, a film, a book, or anything, I don't ever understand how folks tie that psychologically to themselves i don't i don't i don't get that it becomes a personal attack it's like well no hang on it's not i mean (laughs) your opinions no less or no more valid than mine correct can have a discussion about things and agree to disagree but some people don't want to do that yeah there's such a line drawn in the sand and i think unfortunately culture is is very simple it's it's a symptom of where things are at right yeah Um, that's why i wanted to bring it up i i bring it up because you know, I come and go with social media. Uh, I really do, and the reason being is there's no there's no there's no common conversation anymore. It's either you hate this or you love this. There's no you can't question anything anymore. You can't question a belief. You can't question anything. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away. And again, I've walked away recently, uh, and will probably stay away as long as I can. Because I just, I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't get it. And some of it is tied to that, that post you put up. I was like, what is going on here? What, what, what is, why can't Will have an opinion? <laughs> yeah. And I just had to step away. And like, I kept, I was like, it's almost, you get into this weird thing where for like a minute yesterday, I was like angrily, not angrily, but sort of annoyingly, or I was yeah. annoyed, I was waiting to see this guy's response. And yeah. then I was like, hang on, yeah. it's Saturday morning what am I doing with my time here? Like it went back and forth two or three times and I said, okay, you know what, man, have a nice weekend. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I let him have the last word. I don't care enough about Ronnie Chang or, (laughs) or certainly not him. Certainly. I don't, I don't want to disagree about things I'm passionate about. Like we can agree to disagree. Let's move on. Let's not put our energy into, you're not going to change my opinion. I'm not going to change yours. Let's move on. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know when that became, I don't know when, I know I sound like an old man saying this, and me and Todd used to talk about this too. I don't know when it became just a a social faux pas to have an opinion. Uh, And it's really scary to me that, uh, 
that a lot of things have become that. It's it's just I don't know. It frightens me that because you know for everyone that uh, complained about certain regimes in office in the states doing what they do, they turn around and do the same thing for their belief. And it's okay because the majority of people they have behind them, but they don't realize they're doing the same thing. Yeah. It's just a, you know, a different belief system. And again, I don't care what you believe, you believe what you want to believe, but you can't be the same way with your belief that the other people are with the belief you don't believe in (laughs) and not realize that you're not judge that you are the same person. It's, it's unbelievable to me. So anyway, I just want to get that out there. And, uh, you know, for those gentlemen out there who don't want to listen to the podcast anymore because of uh, comic book films or whatever, um, they also had some kind of comment in there about how Todd left and that they felt bad for him. And I was like, well, you know, Todd had every opportunity to stick around. So, Todd, you know, he knows that. And if he's listening still, he knows that. We offered him uh, to stick around the entire thing. Uh, The only reason why we took a break is so we could figure stuff out because Todd didn't want to stick around. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's yeah. been an open door. Yeah, right. So. It's been an open door. Yeah, it's been an open door. I don't talk to him nearly as much as I used to. Todd can be a bit uh, uh, elusive, the same as me uh, socially, but um, we're still friendly, uh, still friends, and I would love for him to come back on the show whenever he wants to. Um, but we never wanted him to leave to begin with. So I just want to make sure we get that out there because it seems like the perception is is Will came back, we booted Todd, and and that's not the case. The case no. was. We were going to keep going three amigo style as we were before. Um, Todd just kind of wanted to keep it. In his opinion, he thought the show was better at two films per. And uh, we were trying to record during the week. Now, here we are back on the weekends and the mornings. <laughs> so <laughs> Todd could have maybe stuck around and stuff. So, Todd, if you're hearing this, you're probably laughing because here we are back on the weekends and the mornings. And we're still doing two films. <laughs> but we're taking a week off in between. So, uh, just, and people just. Yeah, yeah. People don't get it. But yeah, it's hey, innocent to each their own. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, uh, perception is a hell of a thing, right? Is once you uh, once you uh, perceive something to be a certain way, that's the way it is. Uh, my best opinion is, and and I wrote that gentleman an email is, you know, thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for supporting us for fourteen years. He may have given us money over the years or something, and uh, that's my, you know, I, I, I mean. You know, you don't have to listen to this. I mean, we do it for free. You don't have to listen to it. And if you got stuff stuff you want to do, that's fine. But I just want to make sure I always say thank you for being there uh, for as long as you was. And uh, sorry, we disagree. End of story. Can we, since we're doing some housekeeping, can I say something on a much more positive note? Sure. Yeah, let's do that too. So we're going to do something. We talked about this off the air, and I'm going to hit you between the eyes. Um, well, no, I don't, I don't I want to say that. I don't want to hit Sam between the eyes. I want to just <laughs> whisper something in your ear as a gentle reminder. Um, our show this week is called Mem- – well, it's not called Memories of Murder. We're reviewing Memories of Murder. Yeah. And we had joked off the air about, man, can we get through an episode without murder? <laughs> so we're going to have a no murder march. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I got I to gotta do some research there's a lot of there's a lot of murder in movies, man. There's a lot of murder in movies, <laughs> and I almost picked a movie that I didn't think had murder, but it does have a murder. So, just for those, we're, we're going to have a no murder march, which means the films we program, unless it somehow sneaks its way in, is going to be a murderless, murder-free march. I've already got my two films. I'm just saying. Okay, all right. I'm going to start researching, try to get my two, and uh, we'll get that going. But yeah, that that could be interesting, right? I mean, that's going to be. 
I was thinking about it the other day. I was thinking about a film. I was like, oh, that's a good one. That's that's lighthearted. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Somebody gets murdered in that. Well, I mean, there's murder in Disney films. So it's a lot harder than you think. It absolutely is. And I'd look up keywords and other things. I was like, let me make sure there's no murder in this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we encourage everyone that wants to play along with Murder Free March to do so. Yeah. 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 We're going to try a little pacifist approach to, uh, to a cinema. Well, I mean, I, I guess I, I mean, you, maybe you could find a war film with no murder in it. I don't know. Maybe you could. I'm uh, sure you could. I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could find anything without murder in it. But it does seem. Like the majority of the things we watch um, these next two weeks included, there's murder. <laughs> there's, uh, I mean, murder's in the title of this film, but, uh, you know, there's murder in the next week's film, too. So, anyway, well, uh, that's going to be a fun challenge. And I, I like that. I like that. I like these kind of uh, challenge months. I think we ought to mix that in sometimes and uh, kind of flip the script a little bit. That's, that's, uh, that's fun. Plus, it might lead to us sometimes covering stuff that we don't normally cover, which is something... I like to do anyway, just to kind of shake things up, to kind of get different perspectives on things. So, agreed. And we, yeah, like we'd said, we want to get more, more listener picks, listener programmed episodes, friends on. So yeah, I mean that's one of the, really one of the the things that we again foundational things for us is is engaging not with an audience but with a, as part of a community. Right. Right. So. Right. Um, all right. So with saying all that. Sorry to kind of start off with a bummer, but we kind of chipped it up a little bit, and now we're going to get into the show proper. Um, but we're going to be doing Memories of Murder this week, uh, uh, Will's Pick, uh, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Kind of a film he really kind of hit the scene with, really. Yeah. Um, I th- there may have been something else in there, but this is the one I know that his name became a name that I was like, oh, I got to watch this. I got to watch this guy, you know? And uh, so we'll be talking about that this week, and that's from uh, 2003. So that's yeah, it's 20 years old now. How about years that? Old, I can't believe it. I know it's crazy. I know. And Bong Joon Ho has done a ton of stuff between then, and become a Best Picture winner, and yeah, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, um, so that's what we'll be talking about this week. Uh, we got some feedback here. I'm gonna play some. We got one from Runer, um, which I've not played yet. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. So here we go. We're going to play a little voicemail from Runer. Runer's a longtime friend of the show. So Oh, yeah. Great guy. Yeah, here we go. So Hello, gentlemen. Longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Eve of Destruction. Gregory Hines as a major of some of the least special special forces <laughs> in movie history. Didn't quite buy that. <laughs> On the other hand, I thought uh, Renette did a really good job as a android robot, whatever she is. At least it was a slightly more nuanced performance than Christiana Loken in Terminator 3. Otherwise, I would recommend you check out her other cooperation with Verhoeven uh, outside of Spatters, which is The Fourth Man. Oh, yeah. If you haven't yeah. watched it, it's really cool. And for some reason, overlooked thriller. Uh, otherwise, keep up the good work, guys. Looking forward to the next episode. It's great to hear Runer's voice, man. It it absolutely is. He has been such a a part of the community and the the for so long. You know, he's got these cool um, TGIF posts, and yeah, he's, he's just so active, and he's just uh, a ray of sunshine. Yeah, great guy. I'd love, love to have a drink with Runer someday. I'll tell you what, as would I, and I am going to add the fourth man. Is that what? It's, yeah, the fourth man. Yeah, yeah. To my. Um, watch list on Letterboxd right now yeah yeah i think we'll uh 
you know, he mentioned it. I've been adding stuff people have been recommending uh, to our schedule for picks, you know, like when weeks when we can't figure out what we want to do. That's a great li- that's a great idea. And yeah. a great list, no doubt. Because believe it or not, guys, we can't always think about what we sometimes it's just easier to have somebody else. <laughs> so I got that I just added it to the uh the spreadsheet here. Uh fourth man and I put Runer's name on there. Uh just in case we reach a point where we start asking people to come on and talk about those films or not. I got still got Boom on there from Isaac Silva as well. And I got the name Albert Pin there because we gotta get back to that at some point. So Yes. I've been working on our spreadsheet quite extensively and uh, put all the directors in for all the films, at least all the films I could find. You know, we did a few pornography films that uh, not as easy to find the director names as you would think. No, it's true. Uh, and um, yeah, man. Uh, so that when we did Robert Wise, we talked about how we think it wasn't even the first time, but actually he had been on the show before. He was in that Harry Belafonte movie we did, which I bet you don't even remember. <laughs> To which my reply would be, what Harry Belafonte film did we do? I thought the same thing. Oh, my God. I'm on a blind. I, I was like, Cabo Blanco? No, that's Bronson. Uh, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me find, oops, sorry. Let me find it for you, and I'll tell you which, uh, which one we did. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember that now, because I did after I looked. He didn't direct it, did he? Robert Wise did. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You said uh, Odds Against Tomorrow. Hang on, let me look at the <laughs> Odds against tomorrow. Odds against tomorrow, yeah. I remembered it when I looked it up. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that film. Okay, so, let's see here. Yeah. <laughs> it's great getting older, isn't it? <laughs> In fairness, we're, you know, these, these films we're covering this week are like 1128, 1129, or 1130, something like that. So. And it's spanning 14 and a half years, mm-hmm. right? So Yeah, it's not like, you know. I haven't forgotten other stuff I've watched in that period of not, time. Not in this episode? I'm pretty sure you were. Now, this is not ringing a bell. Either. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe I need to go back and listen to the episode. So. This feels like a you and Todd episode. Maybe. Maybe. Might have been. I don't say that because either that or I need more fish oil. <laughs> maybe. I, well, I mean, it could be my problem, too. I could have recalled me and you doing it and not me and Todd. But maybe it was me, you, and Todd that did it. <laughs> Maybe it was me, you, and somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the age of forgetting everything. It's been oh, a, it's been a good mm. trip. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I haven't looked up to see who's on the show. Very strange. Yep. I'll look that up uh, here in a minute. Uh, but thanks, Runer. It's great to hear your voice, Ben. Go ahead and keep calling in. We uh, we love it. Um, we especially love to hear from folks we haven't heard from. Maybe I don't know if we've ever. I mean, maybe Runer's written something. Obviously, he's contributed to the Facebook group, uh, 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 Facebook group shit over the years. But uh, yeah, I think that might be the first time I heard his voice. Maybe so. Maybe I don't know. Maybe back in the day, he sent voicemails too, and I've forgotten that as well. You know, time is a do it funny thing, right? Yep. All right, we got one. For, hey, <laughs> sorry, was you going to say something? No, just a flat circle. That's what it is. <laughs> All right, we got one from Walt. Here we go. Gentlemen, all this uh, talk about Willie Ames has got me thinking of my own Willie Ames story. And yes, I do have a Willie Ames story. Oh, no. Um, Once upon a time, uh, I happened to live in the same town as Willie Ames. And uh, we heard that uh, he was going to have a garage sale. Oh, my. Can you believe that? Um, Missed my chance. 
perhaps because oh, I man. didn't go to the Willie Ames garage sale. And oh. I could have sc- scored some hot uh, Bible man swag, I suppose. <laughs> um, Mickey Mouse shirt. You were talking about um, Saturday Night Fever and uh, uh, Staying Alive. I love Saturday Night Fever. Never seen Staying Alive, actually. So looking forward to that if you guys decide to review that. Uh, my this or that for this week. Um, yeah, recently watched uh, Lumet's uh, interesting comedy, a genre he's not known for, Bye Bye Braverman. Uh, my question is... Uh, Lumet or Freakin? Thanks, guys. Ooh. Did, that almost feels familiar. I feel like, did we do Lumet or Freakin? I feel like we might have. Did no, we? we did somebody else in Freakin, I think. And someone else in Lumet. Probably. Huh. Oh. Um, I know you're, I'll vamp here because I know you, uh, you're doing You're listening to The Gentleman's oh, Guide. Sorry. I was playing another episode of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. <laughs> While we're recording, talk about a meta moment. <laughs> hey, you know, the only way, I don't know if this is the tagline, but I'll make it. The only way to get through to a heart of stone is with ice. Um, yeah, so you know that you were on that episode. Wow. <laughs> wild, wild. Um, so Lumet or Friedkin? So I can't believe I was on that. Yeah, we did We did Cool as Ice and we did Odds Against Tomorrow. What a pairing. What a pairing. What a pairing. <laughs> Um, so that is a wild prank. Uh, I bet, I bet you remembered cool as ice, but, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of cool as ice. Yeah. I wore my metal, uh, (laughs) hat. I recorded my metal play baseball hat. Um, so I, in a photo finish, I'm going to go Friedkin. Yeah. Um, because if I think like, if I look at my list of say 100 favorite films, there's more Friedkin than Lumet. However, Mm -hmm. I've often said, yes, we all know Lumet, but I feel like Lumet is a master that rarely gets mentioned in the same conversation as masters. Because his, if you look at, you know, his top ten or whatever, however you want to do it, there's a lot of real, like just unbelievable films in there. I was gonna say pictures. Um, so yeah, Friedkin for me, but I adore Lumet and think he doesn't get enough love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty much on the same. I, I, for me, it's freaking too, and it's mostly freaking because I don't know. There's just something kind of visceral about freaking yes. compared to Lumet. I knew it. That's I, I was going to say the same thing, man. Yeah, thrill nature to um, freaking's work that just yeah. it's a little more it puts me over the top. Yeah, it's a little more um, button pushing as well. Which, of course, you know that I quite enjoy that kind of stuff. I really enjoy when people are pushing each other's buttons and. Freakin' was known to do that sometimes, and I've always kind of enjoyed that. And um, I don't know. He just I, I, that that just interests me more. That that's that's all it comes down to. Now, in saying that, I do love Sidney Lumet. So it's it's really you know it's really just uh, apples and apples in a lot of ways. Uh, and uh, I would never uh, tarnish the good name of Mister Sidney Lumet, but it's. Uh, yeah, for me personally, I think it'd have to be freaking. So, and as far as apples, they're both honey crisps, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Episode three thirteen, odds against ice. That was the name of the episode. That's amazing. <laughs> three thirteen, and here we are on six nineteen. So, it's been a while ago. <laughs> been a while ago. All right, let's get into what we've been watching. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, uh, Runer. We appreciate it. Uh, actually, I think, well, no, I don't think there's any email, but I'll check real quick. I know that somebody sent some uh, this or that's in. 
Oh, yeah, let me get this one out. I want to make sure I get this one done. This is from Jeremy. Jeremy uh, Tiki Paradise. He's uh, known as on, on Facebook. He's been going through some health problems, and uh, he reached out to me via Messenger. Long-time listener. I've been dealing with some health issues lately, and you guys keep me smiling every day when I listen to the podcast uh, uh, to and from my doctor's appointments. I have a few Thursdays, uh, this, thus, or that's he's got here. I think he meant spelled this, but uh, we'll get to those here, Jeremy, uh, when we do the this or that. But, uh, yeah, I uh, hope all is well. I know he posted recently that uh, his uh, chemo is done. I hope you don't mind me saying that. He did post it on his Facebook page. So all the best to you, sir, and a speedy recovery. We hope you are doing very well. He's been, he's been a, I felt like he's a fellow Canadian, I believe. He's been around uh, the show for a long time. He has. We've spoken off, I was going to say off the air, but yes, off the air. But we've spoken quite a bit, and he's not too far from me. So we're going to... Uh, we're going to try to get together this nice. summer, actually. Nice. Great nice. dude. Yeah, great dude. Um, so, yeah, he's been, I know he's been listening for over a decade, at least. So, awesome stuff. Uh, I think that's it for emails, but I definitely wanted to make sure I got that one out there. Uh, actually, one other thing. <laughs> uh, Walt did write in and said, uh, great show, listen to review of Cut and Run. He said Undefeatable's on Tubi. He hasn't ever seen it. And he recommends we check out a Godfrey Ho film called Lethal Panther, which is an amazing title. I think we would agree with that. So yes, I'm wondering if I've seen Lethal Panther. I need to uh, check on that. It sounds like something I would have watched. Doesn't necessarily mean I have. But I'm going to put that on the list over here as another backup option, maybe, for us in the future. Thanks, Walt. Uh, he said the transfer on YouTube is incredibly saturated, but I mean, that's not, uh, that's not going to hurt our feelings any. No, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into what we've been watching, man. What have you been up to? So I'm trying to remember where I left off. That's the only pitfall to our, uh, yeah, that's, that is a pitfall, but, uh, maybe if you. I think I know where I left off. I think I spoke about the Rebecca Hall, Tim Roth film, Resurrection. You did? Uh, great. So next up, uh, William and I went to the theater to see Broker, the Hirazaku, uh, Hirokazu. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember you saw this and you haven't talked about it. So, yeah. Speaking of Song Kang Ho. Yeah, that's right. He's in that. Yeah. So William's... His patience uh, as a viewer is, is just getting stronger and stronger, which I like. And he's always willing to watch stuff with me, watch the Chris Pizza with me. And um, it, it, I'd marvel at it. You know, he's 14. Um, so he's really getting into some world stuff and, and different stuff thematically. Um, you know, as is uh, our youngest, you know, Bub is too, but William's a little older. So, you know, a little more patience and things, I think, at times. But we went to see Broker. Uh, it's... It's a, it's a Korean film done by Koreeda, which is an interesting thing because, you know, Koreeda's a Japanese filmmaker. Koreeda's a Japanese filmmaker and he's, he's working with a Korean cast and, and shoots it in Korea. It takes place in Korea. Um, it's a very good film. Uh, it, it's typically Koreeda and it's sort of uh, observations on humanity and relationships um, and sort of the, the families we make and um, it's a good film. I mean, I don't think it's his finest hour, but he's one of those guys, much like an Amadovar or 
or a Bong Joon-ho um, that just, you know, even their their average stuff is is good to great. So, right, right. Yeah, no, it's it's a good one. Um, next up was one that had been on my, I meant to see it forever. And I try to usually begin and end the year with, with something really good, right? Last watch of the year. This was my last watch for 2022. And it was Tukibuki. Buki. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Which is, you know, one of those titles where you say it and it's, it's hard to take seriously at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> now this is on the, uh, the, uh, Criterion channel. Oh, yes. I've seen it on there. Yes. Part of Marty Scorsese's, um, collection or of world films. I can't remember the name of it right now, but he had that box set that he had films that he felt like, um, international films that maybe didn't get enough love and wanted to give them a push. So yeah, this, uh, this is a good film. You know, I haven't seen a lot of films from Senegal. Of course it's, you know, 50 years old now. Um, so it is pretty fascinating to see a country 50 years ago. Um, in an area that I'm not overly familiar with, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, good film. It's it's obvious. Um, and I think even in reading about this, uh, Mabeti was uh, educated in France. There's sort of a French new wavy feel. Yeah. And yeah, there's, a, there's direct uh, French correlations to Senegal, I believe. Yes, there are. Yep. Yes, there are. So it's fascinating to see French new wavy technique used just in, in a completely far-flung location. Yeah, and I only know that because I worked with some gentlemen who were from Senegal and they spoke French as a second language and English was the third language. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, right? So um, it's it's a good film. Um, it's, it's just, like I said, it's one of those things when you... It's always cool to see some of the, the influence um, of the medium in different parts of the world, right? It just, it's, it's a fascinating thing to, to see. So... I think the film cost 30 grand US. Um, and it's a pretty celebrated film. I will say this. There are some pretty unsettling um, moments of animal slaughter. Mm. They're not done for any titillating reasons. It's just sort of day-to-day life. But sure, uh, they are sure. difficult to watch. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not used to that kind of thing, they surely would be. Yeah, and, and there is certainly a um, metaphor to that. But it, it's... Yeah, just viewer be warned, I guess, Mm, basically. Yeah. Um, Started the year off with a rewatch. I'd been hankering to rewatch this for a while just to see. I just feel like this film's kind of fallen off people's radar. And I think it's a shame because I think it's a fantastic film. Um, It's it's Joe. Have you ever seen Joe? Oh, yeah, I've seen Joe. Kind of a precursor to Taxi Driver in a lot of ways. So it's, uh, yeah, 1970, um, John, of course, John G. Avildsen, um, Peter Boyle, right? And it's, yeah, it's very much a precursor to Taxi Driver. I think it's got, it's got a lot of smart and very timely commentary on society. Um, that Looking at this, it's, we're 50 plus years on. And this thing, if it came out, save for the fashion and some of the, the choices in that respect, would fit in perfectly. Um, you know, Avildsen is a good filmmaker. He got kind of roped into triumphant sports films. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, I mean, he may have been 
<clears throat> in some ways, the guy that uh, really kicked him between him and Stallone, they may have kicked that into overdrive for most of our childhoods, right? They did. And that stuff's all great. I love it. I do too. But, yeah. Yeah. But it's a shame that stuff like this isn't better remembered because this is, I guess this is like his THX 1138, right? Uh, yeah. 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 It kind of is. Fascinating film. And Boyle, you know, Boyle, I always lament. Boyle not becoming a bigger star because Boyle in the seventies, man, he made some cool films and he's yeah. great in this. Susan Sarandon's got a good turn in this. That is yeah. a, uh, that is a button pusher film. Oh, it very much is. Yeah. And that's a, that's a film that I don't know. I don't know if you can make it nowadays. I don't think you could make it today, but it is, um, very timely. Yeah. Very, very timely. So that's a fantastic film. I wanted to give that a rewatch. It's on hoopla down here. I'll just talk about one more. Um, we decided to rewatch what well, was my wife's pick. We decided to rewatch True Romance. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we we watched this. I hadn't seen it in probably twenty five years. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've watched it. Honestly, it's been a while. it's been a while. Yeah, it uh, it holds up pretty well. Yeah, I would imagine. I'm sitting there thinking about it. I would imagine it would. It holds up pretty well. It's uh, it's wild. My kids, uh, they they love Gary Oldman, and this is a very different kind of Gary Oldman performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a little different. Yeah, <laughs> because to them, he's um, what is he? Serious Black? No, 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 no. Um, uh, I don't remember what the name of that character is. Uh, he's you know uh, he's in he's Prisoner of Azkaban, I think, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever the character's name was, and he's also um, uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, that's right. For them, right? So to see, uh, what's his name, Drexel Spivey in this, I think. <laughs> yeah, Drexel Spivey, the uh, white pimp. Yeah, very different role. That wants to be a Rasta African American. Oh, yeah. It's a, uh, it's again. I'm going to say this. It's only been 20 or 30 years ago, but I don't know if you could cast that like that now. Well, Even no. though the movie asks for a white pimp that wants to be a Rasta pimp. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's the funny thing about this film, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but there are things in this. That wouldn't fly today. Sure. And even to the point where, let me ask you, when you think of that film, what's the one scene you think of? Well, everybody thinks about the scene where Dennis Hopper compares yes. Sicilians to African-Americans. Yes, the Moors. And yes, it's, that- an, it's, and, and it's an ugly scene, but it's a memorable scene because of its ugliness. It is a memorable scene because of its ugliness. And, and- you're getting two powerhouse actors working against each other. Well, big time. And it's a, it's a great scene. Um, but I had to have a conversation with the kids because, yeah. you know, that that's that's an ugly, ugly, ugly word. But I had to. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's ugly altogether. I mean, I don't even think I mean, the fact that uh, I'd imagine Sicilians would be offended as well uh, because they're comparing them to the ugliness of that word, not to the uh, not to their culture. It's just the 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 racism that's prevalent there. Precisely. And it's it's Hopper playing on Watkins pride in that scene. Right. Right. He, go, so, he goes he goes low, but he goes low because he's trying to protect his son. So he figures rage might do it. He's trying to push buttons. Yeah. Which no people on the surface, it looks like a scene to shock you. But if you really think about the film and Tarantino's writing and Tony Scott, what they're trying, what Hopper's character is trying to do is deter him so much with rage and anger and everything else that maybe he completely forgets about. Yeah, uh, Christian Slater in Alabama, or, or Patricia Arquette, and and maybe he doesn't try to chase him down. Precisely, and I had to explain this to the kids. Yep. 
Um, that one also has the uh, the turn that uh, really got James Gandolfini a lot of attention. Yeah, because I was about to say, you look back at this cast and it's it's stacked. Yeah, man, Gandolfini is such a piece of crap in that movie. <laughs> oh, he is, man. He totally is. And but you can totally see where the Soprano thing came from with that. I mean, he, he's got this nice guy, completely evil side that is... You know, he can turn it on. He could turn it on and off. Gandolfini could. And that was why he was such a good actor. Oh, big time. But, you know, you look at that cast and then you get Slater, Arquette, Oldman, Hopper, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, Val Kilmer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. More. Elvis. Yeah, Elvis. Chris Penn, Michael Rappaport, Sam Jackson, Gandolfini. I mean, it's a stacked cast. Yeah. So it, it's funny. The kids didn't dig this one as much as I thought they would. Um, they're, they're Tarantino fans mm -hmm. and this script feels so Tarantino, right? Like it does. Maybe really, out of all of his films, that one feels the most testosterone based. Yeah, it does. It does. But I think he probably wrote it early, right? So, uh, I mean, yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Love letters to things he loves, like the Sonny Chiba stuff and the Elvis stuff. And yeah. there's talk about, I don't know if there's talk about black mama, white mama, but there's, there's a lot of sort of, um, very transparent uh, little Valentines to things he loves uh -huh. in his script. So, yep. yeah. So, yeah, good rewatch. They hated the music in this. The Hans Zimmer, the kind of whimsical <laughs> fairy tale theme with like the fucking <laughs> Spieler's xylophone, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, William hated that theme. Yeah. What are the Sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes that happens. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a good rewatch. Uh, Patrice and I dug it. Nice. I need to rewatch that sometime. I guess I've kind of always waited until maybe one of us picks it or one of us. Uh, that's the other thing about doing a podcast, right? Sometimes yeah, yeah. I'll just let stuff sit around and I'm like, well, maybe we'll pick that one day or maybe I will or maybe somebody else will and we'll have them on the show. So because I own it in Blu-ray and in 4K, I believe. So, well, and it's one that I think would bring about a good discussion just because it has been 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. Crazy. Right. So crazy. That's uh, that's all I'll talk about right now. All right, I watched uh, a couple things. Watched Devotion. This is the uh, Jonathan Majors, Glenn Powell kind of like a um, secondary uh, Glenn Powell being a pilot movie. So he had a interesting year where he had uh, he's in Top Gun Maverick and he's in uh, Devotion. Um, this one though is mostly a Jonathan Majors starring uh, film, and you know he's an up and comer. We've talked about him and. Um, He's really good in this film. This this film is is not great. It's it, it's good. It's very it's very good. Um, it deals with racism and some other things, but it really is. It, it's kind of inconsistent in its storytelling devices, and really kind of laissez faire when it can get to the point it's trying to make very quickly. I don't understand some of the scenes that are in the movie. I don't understand some of the ways the director put it together, but. It is it is good and worth a watch. I think uh, it's a little overlong, but Landon and I watched it, and I think he thought it was going to be a more action packed film, and it's really more of a heavy drama. So uh, I think that kind of surprised him a little bit because you know he'd seen uh, Glenn Powell in uh, Top Gun Maverick. He's the cocky uh, pilot, uh, cockier than Goose's son pilot in uh, Top Gun Maverick. Kind of good looking, kind of white bread kind of actor. Um, I, he, he's really good. I mean, I, th I think he's a good actor and he, he really plays that kind of smug role. Well, but here he's not, he's not really doing that. He's a good looking guy, but he's, he's actually the one that, you know, um, 
understands Jonathan Majors more than anybody. And uh, it's a really good performance. And the relationship between them is really good. That's the main reason to see this film if you decide to watch it. So if you were going to assign a number to it, what would you give it? Um, it falls somewhere six and a half to seven, maybe. Okay. Because I, I certainly I, watchable, I, certainly watchable. Very. I mean, if you like Jonathan Majors, um, you'd probably like the film. I think he's he's a, he's going to bust out, man. He yeah. the camera loves him. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's really not like he's really put stringing together some stuff here. Yeah, yeah. So. No, he's really good in the movie. Um, he's better than the movie deserves, really, because like I said, I think it's uh, the, for me the problems with this movie lie in the filmmaking itself. It's it's just a little. Again, like I said, laissez-faire, for lack of a better word. Just kind of, it kind of hangs there when it could be, a lot of stuff could be cut out, I think. So, but I did like all the interaction between the pilots and stuff, but especially Glenn Powell and Jonathan Majors. It was pretty good. Uh, I'll only mention one other thing since we record another episode after this, but uh, I watched Sick, which is, uh, it, it hit the streaming services um, last week or the week before last. And this is a return to horror, kind of slasher horror for Kevin Williamson, uh, writer of Scream. Um, and this one is directed by John Himes. So I was incredibly interested because I wanted to see what Kevin Williamson was up to. But then when I found out John Himes directed it, I was like, oh, this will be interesting. Because, you know, he's the director that honestly I thought was an up and comer. And I thought he would get more uh, work after that uh, Universal Soldier film he did. With um, yeah, with uh, Scott Atkins and and uh, Dolph and them and everything else, and I thought, man, this guy's an action director through and through. He's going to get plenty of work, and he did a couple things, but then he kind of disappeared. No, I like him too. I think he's he's a solid, solid filmmaker. Yeah. So this film's got a twist, which obviously I'm not going to say, um, but it it's very well made, and it's it's not reinventing the wheel in any way, shape, or form, but I found it incredibly entertaining. Uh, I would recommend people check this out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, some of these actors in here, check some of these actors' names out. I got two I got to mention. I've never heard of these people before. At least if I have, I've never said their names. But Bethlehem Million. Um, Bethlehem, okay. Bethlehem Million. And Dylan Sprayberry. So I just looked up the cast quickly, <laughs> and I knew you were going to mention Dylan Sprayberry. <laughs> Sprayberry is a name I've never seen before. No. See... <laughs> Okay, so carry on, carry on, because I'm going to ask you a question about this one after I hear what you say. Well, I mean, I'll just I'll just say uh, the lead actress I found you know very compelling and 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 attractive, and I think that helps in a, in a film like this. And I think her relationship with the other female that's in the film is really good. And I think it's it, it's a slight twist, probably not a twist that would stun you too much. Maybe a little heavy handed with modern technology, some of the stuff that goes on, but I think it's just subtle enough and kind of what Kevin Williamson does well. And uh, I think it works, but I think really the star here of this movie is the direction. The direction's really good, and uh, I would recommend people check it out uh, for the filmmaking alone. But yeah, what else? What's your question? So I am very leery of Bloomhouse mm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Is this uh, a Bloomhouse film? I don't know if it is or not. Uh, it is, and I oh man, I'll be honest. I feel like Bloomhouse's ceiling for me is about. Six and a half out of ten. Uh, I don't think this is like some of the other Bloomhouse stuff you've seen um, recently. Um, but, uh, I mean, I could be wrong. But I, it's a nice, short little movie. It's only 80-something minutes. 
And I think the filmmaking might, uh, I think it might, uh, might help you in this case. I don't know. With your feelings on Bloomhouse, I guess I wouldn't, for you, I wouldn't rush to see it, but if you come across it, um, I think, I think you'd probably enjoy it. Let me ask you one more question. One interesting comment. Mm -hmm. Is this, is there anything wildly inappropriate for my kids? I'm thinking, and I do not believe there is. Not that no, I can think of. They've seen so. No, I'm 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 sitting there thinking, running the film through my head and stuff. There's nothing. No, I don't I don't believe there is. So as you were talking, I looked up the the lead actress Gideon Adlin. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's the same Don Siegel, but apparently her maternal grandfather is. They say American writer producer Don Siegel. No, I don't even think it's spelled the same. Actually, so never mind. Maybe not, but I'm looking at her face a little bit here on a picture because you said that, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, she does she does have some Siegel-esque qualities. She's very, very cute, very cute. Uh, yeah, she is. She's really good in the film, uh, uh, given what she has to do and all that kind of stuff. And not I re- the same Don Siegel. <laughs> uh, not the same Don Siegel, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, she, she, she was really good in the film. And, and again, it, it's tied to COVID and some stuff like that. Um, I think the tagline is, uh, you're not safe inside. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of messing with some stuff cause it's, it's set during the pandemic and stuff. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not going to like this. It's a little too on the nose and stuff, but I kind of like what they did with it. So. Not to go down the Gideon Adlin rabbit hole too much, but her mom is Pamela Adlin, who, you know, and you probably like, I probably do. You do. She's, uh, yeah, I think she was on that Louis C.K. show. Louis, she played his wife. I never, uh, I never watched that, but I, I, I bet I know her for something else. She's done a ton of stuff. Uh, I'm going to look her up while we, while we talk. While we talk, yeah, yeah. But you, you'd know her to see her. Yeah, the uh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I was avoiding this one, but if Sammy gives it a, you know, reasonable uh, praise, I'll, I'm going to check it out. Well, I mean, to me, again, you know, I'm watching. Not just for the story, but I'm watching for the filmmaking. And and when I saw John Heim's name was attached to it, I was like, oh, okay, well, don't get me wrong. Kevin Williamson is, he's hit or miss with me. I, you know, I I like Scream, but I don't think I liked, I know what you did last summer. I like bits and pieces of it, but I didn't like it that much. And uh, some other things he did, uh, I liked and didn't like. He's, you know, like I said, he's hit or miss. I agree. So this could have been a hit or miss too, but it was 80 minutes and it was a slasher. And I thought, "Eh, well, it's set during the pandemic. Maybe there's some interesting ideas here. And uh, it's not overly interesting as in it doesn't hit you over the head with its ideas, but I think it works. So, And at 80 minutes, hey. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I can promise you this. You've seen worse movies this year. (laughs) Well, then, yeah, that's uh, damning it with fame praise. Yeah. The yeah. tagline, uh, the, what do they call that? Like the, <laughs> the review on the box. I can promise you this. Yeah. You've seen worse movies. <laughs> yeah. Sammy GGTMC. I can, I can promise you this. You've seen worse movies last week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's my capsule review there. Oh, that's amazing. All right. Uh, I think it's time. Yeah. But, you know, have you got the sundial back yet? I do have my sundial back and I know what time it is. But why do you tell our listeners what time it is? Well, the shadow's hitting just right. It's time for this or that. All right. 
I watched some documentary recently. I can't remember what I watched. I don't know if I I don't know if I logged it or if I didn't log it. Oh, I know what I watched. I watched uh I didn't log it. I need to log it on my letterbox, but it you know, I'm a big fan of the Gallagher brothers, the Oasis brothers, and Liam Gallagher did a documentary for Paramount Plus called Live at Nebworth, where he goes back to Nebworth after this concert. Anyway, there's a fan uh, in in this. This has nothing to do with Liam Gallagher, but there's a fan in here talking about his love of Liam Gallagher and his love of French music at a certain time period. And he mentions that he sent a, a appreciation letter off to Brigitte Bardot, and she sent one back calling him her her English lover or something like that. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, he thought that was kind of funny. And I thought it was kind of funny, too, because it was Brigitte Bardot. And that, yeah, you can't go wrong with Brigitte. Yeah, she's tied to our show in some way. All right, so I don't know if you still have. Uh, I mean, uh, I know we don't have uh, a lot this week from outside the sources, but I think we oh, can keep it. it. Yeah, I'm sure you got more. Um, I'm happy to to go. Do you have any or no? Uh, I do not have any off the top of my head. I got, but I do got some from Jeremy here, so I'm going to use Jeremy's. Jeremy's first. Yeah. Uh, well. That. I'll tell you what, I'll just use Jeremy's and use, I use three, you use three and we'll move on. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, we we got to control ourselves because we can make this, this is like eating uh, bad food. We, uh, we really get out of hand with this sometimes. Yes, we do. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. I'll All right. Go first. Let's I'm going to ask you since I recently rewatched one of these films. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I rewatched both these recently. Seven or Silence of the Lambs? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's a deeper question than you think, but man, if I had to pick one that I find more rewatchable for me personally, it's seven. And that's because of the filmmaking. Don't get me wrong. I like silence of the lambs. I do. And I think the interactions and the performance of Anthony Hopkins and the interactions between him and Jodie Foster are, are very rewatchable. Uh, they're great, but I really enjoy seven to this day it, it it almost feels timeless in a weird way it does uh because it's kind of the way he kind of decided to set it in this kind of dystopian modern era which it's not the future no but it kind of feels futuristic at times and and other times it feels like it's in the past. With trench coats and the yeah. old buildings that people think are new york and yeah 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 and I just kind of like that. I kind of like that. And, of course, all the attention to detail. The attention to detail is really, I mean, that's when we started to realize that David Fincher is a different type of director, right? Because, I mean, the serial killer apartment is insane and just, yeah. I don't know, all that stuff is, I'm still, I still, when I think of Seven sometimes, one of the first things I think of is the notebooks. <laughs> I agree because when I rewatched it, um, I was like, wow, someone had to write this out. Yeah, yeah. It's those attention that that attention that that love of details and dedication to details that elevate a filmmaker from good to great. And I, I think Fincher's a great filmmaker. I know you do as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I don't know if it's because I hadn't seen it in so long, and I was like, "Wow, this is incredible." I, I'm going to take silence on this one, man. Okay. I don't know. It's, All right. Well, I mean, I can't argue. I mean, Jonathan Demme's a great filmmaker too. So I mean, so, yeah, this is weird, man. I hadn't seen it since like VHS, and so I mean, it's again like 30 years. And I put it on and we've seen seven, like even like as a, as a family, like two or three times, the boys love it. It was one of their first kind of real proper grown up films. And, um, 
but silence i'd forgotten how masterful it was like even the the opening credits there's like these this like black font that just kind of gives you anxiety and mm. i don't know man and just the misdirection at the back end with the the raid and uh St and clarice at the house and oh yeah the night vision stuff is some oh, some man, great that's, that's great filmmaking stuff so this film did for night vision what the sound <laughs> did for for like through Texas Chainsaw, right? Like yeah, well, what Jonathan Demme's style of the extreme close up oh, works man. really well with the night vision sequence. Um, maybe more so than any other time. He's well, no, I think he used the extreme close up really well in Philadelphia as well because he shows a lot of like Tom Hanks pain, uh, especially when like he's with the other lawyers and they're making gay jokes, homosexual jokes. Oh man, I still haven't seen that movie. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean that, that that one's a that one's a rough watch. I don't watch it very often. Uh, matter of fact, I've only ever seen it once because it's it's quite heartbreaking. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I bet. I just uh, it's not like something I want to sit down and. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not averse to watching heartbreaking stuff, but I don't know. There, there's some bullying in there that make that really turns my stomach. Oh man, that's uh, yeah. yeah. I'd like to get to it at some point. But first, I'll be honest. I'll be completely honest. I didn't realize Demi had made it, so now I'm even more keen to want to. Yeah want to watch it but um uh yeah this is i mean both films are great the apples and apples and golden apples and well honey crisp and honey crisp so anyway. yeah 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 i, I need to rewatch silence of the lambs at some point uh i plan on doing that um i have a, a criterion blu-ray laying around here somewhere that i need to kind of crack open and check it out but i just I'll haven't got to it I, I sorry to interject I'll, I'll tell you watching it made me think like man maybe one day we should do this because yeah it's it's great filmmaking from Demi. Yeah, uh, I would be, as you know, open to that. Um, all right, first one from Jeremy here: Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building. Now, I like this. He's going completely out of our wheelhouse here with some architectural, <laughs> which I can't say. Architectural. <laughs> I can't say it this morning. I'm not even going to try again. It's some just, building. you know, it's just one of those things, you know, sometimes you just can't say a word and you, and you know, you can't say the word, so you're not going to revisit it. Nope. And, uh, you know, I know the word, I can say the word, but this morning I cannot. So what do you think? Statue of Liberty or Empire State Building? This is a slam dunk for me, man. I'm going, I'm going the lady. Are you going the lady? Yeah. Okay. All day. I just, to me, I feel like it's more emotionally resonant. There's a really wonderful history being a gift from the French and. It's been featured so many times in movies. It's been spoofed in movies. It's I mean, it, a gift from the French. It's no Alain Delon, but it uh, it'll do. Gift to the French, <laughs> the French. or you know, a Belmondo croissant, but you know, it'll do. <laughs> That's the ultimate gift. <laughs> the pastry that keeps on giving and giving. Um, but yeah, I'm statue on this one, man. What about you? Well, I mean, I, I love the Empire State Building. I think it's gorgeous, and it remains gorgeous. But yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean. Uh, Talk about a, a landmark that is synonymous with a city. I, I can't, I mean, maybe the only other one I can think of off the top of my head is the Golden Gate Bridge. So if you're, when you think of a city and you say, first landmark you think of, go. The only ones I can think of in the world that are as immediate are the Eiffel Tower, maybe the Golden Gate Bridge. like Yeah, the, the Space yeah. Needle in Seattle. I, even the needle at in Toronto, I think of almost immediately. The CN Tower, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, like I say, Golden Gate Bridge. But when you think of Los Angeles, what do you think of Hollywood sign? That's about all you can really think of, right? Uh, that and the smell—the smell of piss on the sidewalks. Yeah, 
Hang in the town you're in, yeah. Now, now, no offense to anybody who lives in L.A., but you know what I'm talking about if you live in L.A. <laughs> I love Southern California, and if I didn't, if I'd leave Canada and move to the state, I'd want to live there, man. It's great. Yeah. So, yeah, but the smell of, of urine uh, in certain parts is not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is what it is, right? San Francisco is not much better in some spots, I can tell you that. Every city, and it's nooks and crannies. Yeah, every city has that, yeah. But I guess, you know, you think of Chicago, you think of maybe the Sears Tower, maybe, or, I mean, if you think of buildings or structures, that's what I think of. But Chicago even, I mean, I, I think of that because I've been there a couple of times. I don't think of that immediately when I think of Chicago, though. So I think, you know, New York City, almost immediately in my brain, the Statue of Liberty pops up. Immediate. Yeah. yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting. That's a great short film that was free on Apple. I don't know if it's still free, but uh, with Robert De Niro kind of walking around Ellis Island and uh, the Statue of Liberty just kind of talking. It's very artsy-fartsy, but it's really good. Oh, I've been checking that out. Yeah, I would recommend folks check that out. Um, Okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Statue of Liberty as well, man. So Nice, nice. Um, Did I do – I think I might have done this one. Um, ooh, this one's hard. Harakiri or Sword of Doom? I don't know if you did this one. I don't think so. No, there was a there was a food related one. Oh, uh, the third one. <laughs> the uh, so I'm assuming we're talking the original Harikiri here. OG, or, yeah, OG Harikiri. So if we're talking the original Harikiri, then I'm gonna go and 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 again, I love the original Harikiri. People, some people are gonna clutch their pearls when they hear this. Um, but I really love the Mike remake of Harikiri. Oh, it's fantastic. And uh, just because it gives it a little bit more Mike flavor. Little, he throws a little little sake in there, baby. Oh, yeah. Um, But I am a big fan of Sword of Doom. Nice. Big, 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 big fan of Sword of Doom. So, yeah, I'm going to go Sword of Doom on this one. Very, very nice. Uh, I am a big fan of Sword of Doom. But I'm <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, I think they're too. That's it. I'm quitting the podcast. We're done. <laughs> We're done. But you, uh, you finally I, did it. You broke me. That's it, man. That's <laughs> it, right? But um I think both films are masterpieces. Yeah. They're they're Yeah, just, they're both great. Oh, they're so good, man. Yeah. So good. Like, you know, eight point seven five, nine, nine point two five, like rarefied air. They're just oh, tremendous yeah. films. Yeah, they're up there. They're up there. They're both great. And like I always say, you know, that the remake by Mike, I know uh, it was my favorite film of the year one year when we did top thirties and uh it's a good one. It, it's it's one of the great remakes. I mean, it really is. I mean, sometimes you know we we lament these remakes, but if you can give enough of a if you can give a director enough leeway to put themselves into the film a little bit, I think that's when remakes work their best. Agreed. And that right. one just that one oozes Mike literally. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see what we got from Jeremy here next. I think it was oh yeah, New York Ripper or New York Ninja. Have you ever seen New York Ninja? I don't know if you've seen that or not yet. No, I've been waiting to, man. We but might, I, I got a Blu-ray of that. We might cover that at some point. Uh, yeah, I'm not averse to it. I remember talking about that one with uh, our good friend Carl Bresden. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> that, 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 he sent something to me or I sent something to him, but, it, you know, wheelhouse. and Feels like a Bresden thing. <laughs> it does. It's a very, it's so Bresden, right? So yeah. <laughs> by default... Uh, I have to take New York Ripper, but I'll tell you this: it would be hard to knock Ripper off the perch because I am a huge New York Ripper fan. It, we've done it on the show, our reviews, yeah, you know, many moons ago. Just a wonderfully, unrepentantly sleazy, violent film. So I've seen both of these, um, 
And as is often the case with uh, Fulci over the past 14, 15 years with me and you, I've come to appreciate him more and more. And uh, Ripper used to be one that I always kind of appreciated because of its harshness, but always found it kind of lacking too. But if you go back and listen to that review, you can find that I also quite enjoyed that revisit and I will pick Ripper over Ninja. That's just sounds that's a fun sentence right there. I'll pick Ripper over Ninja. <laughs> it, it's a New York Ripper's fun. I mean it it's it's gross and, and it's Fulci kind of trying to be it, it it's almost like he's trying to be as full tilt as possible in some ways on that one. And uh I kind of appreciate that. Especially as time's gone on, I've come to appreciate it more and more. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's a good one. Um Okay, one more here. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, George Kennedy or Clue Gulliger? <laughs> uh, I'm running through filmographies in my head, right? <laughs> so you start saying George Kennedy, and I'm running through everything I like George Kennedy, and then you throw Clue Gulliger in there, and I'm running through those two. You know, this is going to sound crazy, I think. Not, not, not crazy, necessarily. There's two performances from these two actors that always come to mind first. Okay. Uh, when I say two, I mean one per. Um, for George Kennedy, it's his performance in Cool Hand Luke for me. Yes. Which I love. And uh, even though I love him in a ton of things, George Kennedy worked forever and made God knows how many films and TV shows. And then for Clue Gulliger, as many great things as he did. His performance with James Karen in uh, in Return of the Living Dead is is like one of my favorite performances of all time. It's Agreed. it's one of the funniest. <laughs> Those two, James Karen whining all the time, oh, the, Tom Matthews whining, and Clue uh, Gulliger trying to get him to calm the hell down is <laughs> <laughs> some of the funniest and best stuff ever put into a horror film, in my opinion. And uh, makes it, I, I think, makes Return of the Living Dead one of the most rewatchable horror films of all time, right? Oh, yeah. In saying that, I'm going to go with Clue Gulliger in this case because of that. Now, George Kennedy, I love him in Cool Hand Luke, and I love him in so much stuff. So this is another apples and apples thing. But Clue Gulliger trying to calm James Karen and uh, Tom Matthews down in Return of the Living Dead is... Yeah, with a, I believe he's wearing a members only jacket. Uh, maybe, sure is. yeah, and one. Um, it's 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 one of the great managerial performances. <laughs> I love it. Of all time, trying to get your workforce to calm the hell down so you can figure out what the hell to do in a crisis. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. That's a great line. It is one of the great managerial performances. <laughs> it really, it really is. It really is when you think about it. Man, that is this is a tough one. Um. I got to go with Gulliger as well, only because I've been aware of Gulliger more because of that great managerial turn. Because, as you know, Return is one of my favorite films. And I've just seen. So I've gone from liking Tom Matthews to being the older guy and appreciating Clue Gulliger's yeah. <laughs> predicament. Um, yeah, he's trying to control a situation that he, he has no hope of controlling. Man. Yeah, and then you get to see both of them in Uninvited, which is a really fun, bonkers film that, you know, we, I can see with the boys at the new Bev, actually. But I think uh, Todd and I, we may, have, uh, we may have reviewed that. I feel like it was on the show. I feel like it was, but I don't want to not give Kennedy his flowers because he's a great actor 
who's been on our show several times, and his comedic timing is is underappreciated, I think. Yes. Yes. And some really big films, man. Oh yeah, no, he's 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 one of the great character actors of all time. Yeah, both you couldn't go wrong with either of those guys, man. No, you couldn't. I mean, they are the definition to me of character actor. Yep. And uh, two of the greatest that ever were. Because there's character actors that um get to elevate to lead status like uh, Willem Dafoe, you know, working with certain directors like Eggers or or Von Trier or uh, Anderson. But Kennedy and Gulliger primarily stayed as character actors and they just kept putting in good performance, whether it was, you know, a naked gun or Thunderbolt and Lightfoot or, you know, uh, last picture is last picture show. Gulliger's in last picture show. I feel like he is. Um, or Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is the irritated dad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm looking to see if we did the uninvited or not, but I can't tell if we did. Um, this uh, spreadsheet I have is out of control. I mean, you all these films, it's unbelievable to me still to this day. And Gulliger was in Last Picture Show. Yeah. Um, all right. Last one from Jeremy here. Um, 80s. Well, hang on. 80s Sunset Strip. Or 80s 42nd Street, New York. Talking about smelling like piss. <laughs> yeah, in this case, you get double piss. Double piss. Um, probably, probably some poo too, for that matter. If you're if you're into that, and and some other liquids. You will get all the liquids. Um, yeah, if you're a germaphobe, neither one of these are uh, ideal. I think. No, they're far from ideal. They're less than ideal. Oh, I am going to go. I'm going to go Sunset Strip only because the weather is nicer. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I can get oh. behind that. I, I feel like I'd probably take 42nd Street, but, oh, man, it was pretty pretty scuzzy. I'll take the, the, the warm air with my scuzziness, I guess. So here, I, I think that that might be a surprise for some people because we've always talked about and lamented the grindhouses and talked about, you know, New York City in that era. But I got to be honest with you, you know, um, that era in New York City is awesome as we lament it and miss it and look back on it nostalgically. It was a rough part of town, man. Uh, not to say that the Sunshine Strip wasn't, but the the weather seems nicer. Um, I'm a old school metal guy, some of that hair metal. So the Sunset Strip seems like it might speak to me more. Um, again, I don't mind warm weather. California, one of the great things about California is it never gets too hot. Um, so I think I would go with you and be on the sunset strip in the eighties. I think we'd rock some hot pants, oh, yeah. uh, some open shirts with uh, specks of paint all over them. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, we'd, we'd probably get in a lot of trouble. We'd probably help spread the disease. No doubt about that. <laughs> no doubt about that. So, uh, that would be fun. That would be fun. Um, the um okay so that uh, that's it for this or that we're going to take a short break and come back and discuss memories of murder so we will be back right after this
upbeat. Maybe a little upbeat than the film calls for, but the film has some weird comedic moments, so it kind of works, right? Well, yeah. There's some stuff early on before it just shifts into <laughs> strictly yeah. nightmare territory. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, our, oh, by the way, the Clue Gulager film that Todd and I did do was called The Initiation. Oh, that's a fun one. Yeah, that's the one we did. I think it's an Arrow release even. So Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. And uh, that's the one we did. Uh, but I had it confused with The Uninvited, which I guess, you know, Initiation, Uninvited, I guess you could maybe see how that could happen, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. Um, okay, Memories of Murder, uh, 2003, 23, as well as I was getting ready to say, 2003, original title, Salanui Chiuk, I guess, I, I, you know, Salanui doesn't sound like a Korean word to me, maybe probably the way I'm saying it probably isn't Korean, but, so it, but yeah, it does look like Salanui Chiuk, yeah, Salanui Chiuk, yep, uh, in a small Korean province in 1986, two detectives struggle with the case of multiple young women being found raped and murdered by an unknown culprit. Um, this was kind of a uh, interesting. Well, first of all, I think we've talked about doing this one for some time off and on. Oh, man. For for over a decade. I, this, I, I don't know for certain, but I feel like this. if it wasn't on the first roadmap, it wasn't too far from there. Yeah. Um, and... Maybe to for me, this is the one that kind of announced uh, Bong Joon Ho. I never saw his first feature film, which was Barking Dogs Never Bite. I haven't seen that one. It's a good one. Um, so, but this was the one that I saw, and basically because in some ways, uh, folks had recommended it to me because of uh, my love of Seven in a weird way. And kind of, you know, because it, it, this one kind of messes with details like that. And it's kind of a murder mystery, right? And um, it does it, it does have some qualities of seven in some ways, um, which we'll get into. Uh, I haven't seen this in forever, so it was nice to go back and look at it. I got the Blu-ray from uh, Criterion, one of the Criterion sales. And, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I guess I'll jump into it here. Uh, directed by Bong Joon-ho, as we mentioned, South Korean filmmaker who's more well-known now than he was then, obviously, for Parasite. Um, we got Song Kang-ho in here, uh, Kim Sang-kyung, <laughs> these names. I sound like I'm saying them wrong. Maybe I'm saying them wrong. Jaho Song, uh, uh, Byun Hee-bong. I feel like I'm just uh, going through the motions here, but you guys get the idea. Roha Kim. Yeah, it's a cast of... A lot of familiar faces. If you watch a lot of Korean films, a lot of solid character actors and uh, headliners, right? Yep, yep. And probably the face you'll know most readily is probably Song Kang Ho, who's kind of become an international star. He's listen. These two are the you know the Bobby D and Marty Scorsese uh -huh. of Korea. I mean, yeah. they they have a great working relationship. Um, and it, this is you know twenty years ago, right? And Probably other than him, maybe Kim Sang-kyun, maybe, I would think. It would be probably the most recognizable to people that watch a lot of Korean films. Um, he's done a ton of stuff as well. But, um, but yeah, definitely Song Kang-ho is the, the big one. Yeah, I mean, he almost always, if Bong Joon-ho's making a film, Song Kang-ho almost always shows up. Yeah, even if it's in, you know, a smaller role, like Sam Jackson and Tarantino. I mean, take your, take your dynamic duos, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is this is one of those dynamic duos. Yep. Definitely. 
Um, but yeah, this is a murder mystery with a slight, uh, uh, well, from the Song Kang Ho performance, maybe a slight comedic turn. Only in the fact that we have a kind of buffoonish performance in some ways. So, yeah, that's the interesting thing about this film is we should say, you'll probably hear us talk about a lot of parallels to Zodiac. This was based. Yeah, on- maybe Zodiac was maybe more the thing it was recommended to me. But uh, I felt like it was Fincher in general. Oh, right, right, right. And somebody uh, told me that I should check out Memories of Murder. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. But this is based on true, true case, true case uh, that was happening in South Korea. Um, the film does deftly weave between sort of gallows, black humor, and then before our very eyes just becomes this hellish void uh, that, that sort of drops the humor uh, as things become more desperate and more um, more uncertain. Yeah. I think if you were in the the cast, I think what this movie's doing, and um, it, it's one of the things I like about filmmakers like Bong Joon Ho, Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, Stanley Kubrick, even stuff, is this is uh, not just a murder mystery; it's kind of commenting on human behavior as well. And what you got here is Song Kang Ho plays detective, detective, uh, detective, <laughs> detective Park Duman, and. Uh, that he is kind of leading up this investigation and he just wants to wrap it up. He just wants to get it out of, get it off his plate, get it wrapped up. It, it's clear from the film that there's probably been some behavior by him in the past where he's maybe convicted the wrong people. Uh, he's just looking to, you know, move, move on, get his job done. And, uh, you know, in, in saying that he's possibly, we don't see it, but we see this behavior, so we think to ourselves that he's probably done this in the past. He's possibly skipped over the rules to get to where he is now. So a bit of a gray area character here, not a uh, not a clear hero and not a clear bad guy. He wants to do the right thing. He just seems kind of lazy and wants to take the easy road, right? He wants to take the road that he's, yeah, that he's always taken, mm-hmm. and this is sort of... There's a bit of a commentary on kind of the the laissez-faire approach that this small town uh, police take in this, mm-hmm. right? There's gonna and they can know. take advantage of the less fortunate. And in this case, uh, you know, it, it goes the sometimes Asian route of taking uh, almost taking advantage of somebody who has a mental handicap, which is always interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, nowadays, uh, well, I don't know, Asians might still do it, but they, in America, you know, obviously be frowned upon and stuff. But they get a somebody who's mentally challenged here and they almost get him uh, roped into it. And you got his, his detective partner, Roha Kim, is, is kind of the violent kind of muscle to his kind of psychological lying and deceitful behavior, Song Kang Ho. But then another detective is entered into the story from Seoul and Kim Sang Kyung. And he comes in and he clearly sees that this is a small town operation. They want to move on. Uh, but he's not he's not overly like trying to get them not to do it, but he knows that they're doing the wrong thing, right? Like he's not pressing them hard, but pressing them just hard enough that you can tell that Sung Kang Ho's character is somewhat offended, maybe somewhat scared that he's going to be told on. To his boss, who was uh, Jaho Sung, uh, the uh, the sergeant, who's got a great face. I love his face. Great face, great straight man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of 
well, they're, I mean, they're all relatively straight men, but he's sort of, you know, the, the organized orderly one, him and, uh, Sergeant Koo. Yeah. Yibong. Yep. And they, they, um, they're, you know, they want to get it done too, because obviously, you know, the public is involved, news is involved and they want to move on. And not only that, but they, I think they think their hearts are in the right places. Like they may have the right guy. But what's, right. what's kind of fun about this movie is the filmmaking itself. What, what, what's really, yeah, what's really the star of this movie is as great as Song Kang-ho and these actors are in this film. What's really great about it is the kind of story and the machinations of the filmmaking itself. In that, you know, the set pieces are really cool. They come up with this theory that, you know, or not theory, but it's kind of proven from detective, from the detective from Seoul, played by Kim Sang-kyung. He comes in and says the murders happen uh when it rains uh the officer the female officer who they don't really respect she says that it only happens on nights when they play this certain song which is called a red letter or something like that and so they start to put these kind of machinations of the of the killer in place too and in saying all that what we really have is this kind of human story mixed in with these kind of movie like plot lines of trying to deal with a serious situation. Now, I'm not going to give anything away about the movie. If you've never seen it, I recommend you check it out. If you like Korean cinema, you'll definitely like this movie. Um, it can be frustrating in some ways, this film maybe, for some folks. But I think the the star of this movie, like I said, is Bong Joon-ho and Song Kang-ho and these guys just kind of working together, telling the story, setting a mood, because this film... It almost feels sometimes because the, a lot of these murders take place in these rice fields, I guess they are, or there's some type of field. Yeah, wheat field. Wheat field. Some, yeah. And so they, it feels Malikian a little bit in some ways because you got the waving uh, fields and kind of nature. He doesn't shoot it almost. Well, he shoots it kind of like that. I, I'd be lying if he didn't. But it definitely has a a small town feel, and he really sets up the atmosphere uh, very well. And it has some, you know, adult features. Obviously, I was going to maybe watch this with Landon, but I didn't want to really have to explain the the undergarment uh, masturbation scene, or the fruit, <laughs> or the fruit. Yes, among other things. Yeah, I almost watched it with the kids too, um, but it's 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 more stark in 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 a lot of ways than Zodiac or Seven are. Yeah, yeah, but it but it it feels probably more like Zodiac than it does. Um, Seven, but it definitely feels like both of those films, um, but more like Zodiac in, in 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 a lot of ways. And so, if you know, if you're a fan of those two films, I mean, and you haven't seen this, then you definitely owe it to yourself to see this film. Oh, you you absolutely do. And I had always thought this, but now I have a platform to say it. No one can tell me that David Fincher did not watch this film before he made Zodiac. Oh, I feel like he probably definitely saw it i mean he's a he's a movie fan right i mean i feel like it it definitely there's some of that there there's no doubt in my mind just in the mood and everything and you can feel it if you watch it um you know it's one of those things kind of like brian de palma and you know dressed to kill or or something like that right you know these guys saw some other stuff and that's fine that that, that's that's all part of the reinterpretation uh, reinterpretation of art but um yeah, you can definitely feel it. I mean, I, I, I threw this on, and from scene number one, first thing you get is that zing of Malikian stuff, and then uh, once you realize what uh, 
Song Kang Ho's kind of walking into, you start to get these like Fincher-esque moments of murder and the details of murder. And again, like Will was talking about with the fruit, we won't give away what that means, but if you've seen it, you kind of know what we mean. And that, that feels very Fincher-esque in some ways, kind of that detail and, and, and going into those details. And of course the psychological stuff is all there. But yeah, man, the camera moves so well in this, and the movie looks great. I mean, it still looks great 20 years later. Um, I don't know where it stands in Bong Joon-ho's kind of filmography for me, but it still really is a big-time standout in a, in a filmography. I mean, he's not made an overabundance of film. He's made quite a few at this point. He's not Mike-esque in his... No. In terms of being prolific, but um, I'll tell you... And I know this is an obvious statement at this point, mm-hmm. but when the dust settles on his career, um, the, he he rightfully should be mentioned as a master, and his willingness to be very diverse in uh, his subject matter um, is is and his consistency and quality, I think, are, are just testament to how great he is because he's going to have a top five or however many films he ends up with that can keep up with, with most anyone. I mean, if he's not a master, he'll be just, just a notch below that. He is a tremendous film. One of the greatest filmmakers of this generation. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I would definitely say he is. I mean, he's, um, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I still have not seen parasite. It's one of those ones that keeps eluding me. I don't know why I haven't watched it. I just haven't. And uh, I need to sit down and actually just watch it. You do. It's so, oh, it's so good. But the the truth is, is he's a, a challenging filmmaker. And of all of his films that I've seen, I, I mean, I do think this is still my favorite one. Uh, but again, I haven't seen Parasite yet. And some of the themes he deals with, like some of the stuff's too harsh for me. Like, I, I, you know, I won't watch Okja because I just, I, you know, I, I don't like dealing with that kind of stuff emotionally. <laughs> And you know that's shame on me, maybe. But you it's a know, great film, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard it is, but you know, just maybe too much. And, and for me, but you know, I've seen the host. We saw Mother together, and that one was very good. And uh, Snowpiercer is 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 kind of goofier, but uh, still very good. And I thought kind of fun. You know, something he always deals with brilliantly, even in films like Okja. Uh, it's present in this. Yeah, it's present in all of his films. I know what you're going to say, but it's present in everything he does. There's a there's a class warfare, uh-huh. uh, the division between the haves and the have-nots, those in power and those not in power, yeah. and abuse of power. Yes, yes. And it, it's here, like you said, it, it's right here in front of our faces. And he is fascinated by that. He's a snowpiercer is maybe a little bit more on the nose, right? Because it's, you know, dealing with going up a train. So you're kind of like going up. It's kind of like a land of the dead, right? Everybody that's at the power lives at the top, right? Yeah. But, you know, even if you look at the host, it's the haves and have nots. And mother is the haves and have nots, right? And, and all those things. And he deals with that very well. And I haven't seen Parasite, but I already know that's what that's about as well. So he he's always dealing with that basic humanity that basic conundrum we have as human beings, which is fellowship and how we see the other people and stuff. And all of us in some way, shape or form, no matter how much we try to fight it, all of us are guilty of it a little bit because it's unfortunately, it's kind of a natural human trait. It's kind of like, you know, if there's an animal trait to us, this is one of our natural traits. The the key being to not um, 
abuse yes. that, yes. right? Yeah. That responsibility we have as humans mm-hmm. to be good, kind, decent, and not abuse when afforded the opportunity, right? Right, right. And then, you know, you get into the subject of power and all that kind of stuff, and we've often talked about that over the years, that it can lead to, you know, decisions that, you know, are not humane. And that's what Bong Joon-ho is kind of dealing with. And, you know, I mean, he does he does that in all of his films. The host is basically, I mean, that's a whole film of that, really. I mean, you create almost a creature gets created because of the arrogance of humanity, right? And uh, you think about Mother and, and how that's, you know, how the characters are frowned upon in that for being mentally handicapped and stuff. And then, you know, the mother almost being frowned upon because she's female and working female at that. And it, it, I mean, he deals with this stuff very well, but one of the things I love about this film, especially is, uh, the stuff in the rain. I mean, he handles the rain really well here and he handles suspense really well. And he, he throws some, uh, some, uh, red herrings at us. Oh man. And some yeah. ideas, but he never he never gives us anything. He he just kind of throws it out there. He never that, I, So when I say frustration for some folks, you have to do some work for this movie. It's one of those kind of films. And I'm going to go on record as saying I don't think I can recall a filmmaker using and it's weird like it is they are red herrings, but it's almost like commentary on correlation and causation right where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um there's some the, the the detectives go down some blind alleys based on assumptions arrogance leads in some cases we as the viewer are playing along with them and that's where you really get this sense much like in zodiac of feeling like you're in the void you're in the dark right you're clarice <laughs> and the situation has night goggles on and you're you're fumbling to define the truth in the situation. And it becomes this black void that just starts to envelop uh, everyone in the film. Yeah. Because there's so many really organic uh, red herrings in this that, that work wonderfully. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think, you know, too, what he's doing is he's kind of approaching every subject kind of in a unique way. Like, again, I said, Song Kang Ho is kind of a, a, He's given us personalities, I guess I should say, which is something that, you know, 70s cinema did really well is they gave us these characters that, you know, we're not going to agree with everything they do. Um, He gives us three or four different types of character types here. And, you know, you can kind of pick and choose who you get behind. Maybe you're really stout and moral and you're maybe the the, uh, detective from Seoul or maybe you're more like Song Kang-ho and you're like, okay, well, this is... You know, and I wouldn't judge it, but I mean, this is just, you know, this is a job and I feel like it's this person. Because I do believe Song Kang-ho believes that he has this natural ability to see guilt. And that's part of the through line of this film. Yes. Is his growth as a person, right? And there's a reason why there's kind of like this epilogue to this whole story, which I will not give away here because in case people haven't seen it. But there's a reason why in the epilogue it seems like things have changed tremendously for Song Kang Ho's character, right? Mm-hmm. He has a family and everything else, and perspectives have changed. Growth has happened. Maturity, what do you, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think that's very smart, too, especially considering how this thing ends. Oh. Uh, because the movie opens on a face and it closes on a face. 
And I think that's very important too. And it opens on the child's face and it closes on a mature man's face. I think without giving anything away, there's a lot being said there. And you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And also that bookend with those two faces happen in essentially the same location. Same location. Yes. Different parts of that location, but the exact same location. And uh, that's, you know, there's commentary there and and what he's trying to say. And it, it just adds to it. I mean, so this is, you know, this is almost like great 70 cinemas. It's, it's a great thriller that isn't too showboaty. It does have some great moments. I mean, there's a great chase sequence. There's a... There's some great uh, suspense sequences and some great sequences with sound and uh, stuff that's very well done. And the mystery is fun. I mean, you you get caught up in it, right? You get caught up in that, the song playing and the rain and the great moments where he's like looking outside and he sees raindrops starting to hit. And just these little moments that are kind of mixed in that he sets you up for. All those moments are there for the movie lover. But at the end of the day, too, he's got this commentary and stuff in it. So this is what Bong Joon-ho does really well. He... He mixes in kind of big budget, fun movie ideas with social commentary, which is what all great filmmakers are able to do. And uh, he does it very well. He does it very well. And, you know, to me, he would have almost maybe earned best picture for this film. But again, it was a different time, right? And I'm happy he did earn best picture for Parasite, even though I haven't seen it. He's deserving of the award either way to me because he is one of the great, you know, modern filmmakers. Korea had this, has this rich, uh, history of about five or six filmmakers in this, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years who've changed cinema in a lot of ways. And, oh, uh, it's been great. It's been a great run, right? I mean, I, you know, some folks, some, you know, some to lesser degree and every, and everything else, but I mean, you know, you talk about him, Kim Ji Woon and, um, uh, what's the other one? Park, uh, Park Chan Wook. Park Chan Wook. It seems like there's one more I'm missing. Um, was Kim Ki Duck? Was he Chinese or Korean? No, no, he's yeah, he's Korean as well. Yeah, so you get these guys who, in a lot of ways, change cinema, and some of them are still working to this day. So it's pretty impressive, pretty impressive, and they're masters. I mean, they're just they're master filmmakers. This is this Me is master class filmmaking, right? Sorry, my my thing is cutting out here. <laughs> um, Lee Chang Dong. Hong Sang Su, Im Sang Su. There's so many great filmmakers from Korea. Yep, yep, there really is. And I'm sure I'm not mentioning somebody that somebody's like, oh, I can't believe you didn't mention so and so. But you know, you you know what I'm saying. There's that 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 culture, that era. It was almost like a new movie bread era of it filmmakers was. that came up, and we were all kind of like, whoa, you know. So yeah, they were they you know they had a they're still great, but they had a run from about you know, 2002 or three for about a decade where it was like, they were to me making the best, best film in the world consistently. It felt like, yeah, it's almost like they were one up in each other or trying to one up each other. Oh yeah. It was incredible yeah. to see those filmmakers, um, all running in circles at, uh, you know, film festivals and things like that. Um, and some of them just their universal sort of accessibility. You know, Hong Sing Su and uh, Im Sing Su um, and Lee Chang Dong or Lee Dong Chang were all a little more maybe artsy mm -hmm. than the other ones. Yeah. But, you know, all of them got their flowers at a lot of festivals and, right. and acclaimed the world over, which without that, I don't think it doesn't lead to the, the, the wave cresting and Bong Joon-ho finally getting what he deserved uh, in terms of recognition and hardware at the Academy Awards, which... Say what you will. It's a nice moment when someone you you've admired 
for a long time and who clearly has a passion for film gets gets their flowers on the the biggest stage in the world right 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 yeah yeah i mean it still means something for a filmmaker like bong joon ho to get it it does um that's all i got really i can kick it over to you okay uh so yeah i can't believe this one's 20 years old man (laughs) it's uh it just boggles boggles the mind um and uh, I think we'd said this, this, uh, this available, uh, criterion put a great addition to this out. Um, yeah, it was on the criterion channel, but we'll found out it's not on up there in uh, Canada anymore. I don't know if it's on the channel down here. I'm getting ready to look while we're talking, but I'm going to bet you it's not. Yeah. I feel like it was on there for the longest time, but they, 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 you know, like all streaming services, they add and remove as, as needed. Yeah, they gotta you know keep a sense of urgency and and kind of compel people to watch stuff. Um, I'm, I think it's gone, and that was one of the reasons I picked it was I saw it on there. I thought, yeah, we finally got to do this. But yeah, it's not it's uh, not on Criterion down here anymore either. So gone. But yeah, that that opening shot's fantastic. It's it's kind of a it's really great showy uh, shot, but it also works very organically uh, within the framework of what he's going for as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that that always stays with me with this film is how stark and horrific the violence feels in this. You know, we've seen, we should say, I should say just so people can play along at home. It is available on Hulu. If you have Hulu and through Apple TV here, you can rent it or you buy it. Um, however you want to see it. Um, but the, the violence in this is so horrific and so stark when we come across the bodies and it's never done in an exploitative way, no, it always feels very frank, very matter of fact, but always very awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cruel, cruel, cruel and awful. Yeah. Well, these bodies have just been, um, left it, it just very cruel. Um, and, yeah. and, but that's the aim here. Right. And for him to be able to accomplish that with two guys who've seen, Every seemingly every every kind of death and evisceration in film to see these these still bodies because I don't think I don't think we actually see a murder on screen, do we? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think we come close, but I think the you know the key is too you know it's all wrapped up in one of the lines of dialogue that somebody says at the end of the film too, which is you know maybe the most scary line of dialogue, right? And I'm not going to mention it here because again it might give something away, but maybe the thing that we fear the most, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, the shout out to Bong Joon-ho for throwing a body heat reference in this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think Song Kang-ho, the, he seems to be a fan of body heat, I think. Yeah, <laughs> Which, yeah, aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is the film. The thing I love about this is, this this happened in 1986, so the reliance on technology, uh, DNA, things like that weren't really they weren't used, right? Like, I mean, you even see like crime scenes are just they're just trampled on. You know, there's 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 kids running around, there's people running around. Yeah, uh, it's 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 wild, right? And, and that's definitely um, something that he kind of speaks to in this, right? Just People could, they, you know, we couldn't get out of our own way in in investigating this. 
Yeah, I, I mean, they even mentioned, you know, they get some DNA, but they'd have to send it off to the states, and they have to be, you know, they have to be very careful on how they send it and how much they send because they might lose it. And, mm-hmm. again, it's a different time. I mean, nowadays we've we've come so uh, acclimated to DNA that we think, oh, every almost every murder that happens, they're like, you know, they found some DNA on the scene. You're like, oh, well, they'll find the guy then. Yeah, but well, that, DNA can be many things. Yeah, but right. sometimes, uh, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes DNA can be confusing as well. But you hear all these stories nowadays, you know, of these genealogy sites and everything, you know, Ancestry.com and stuff, and being able to track killers down via this stuff. I mean, it is a reality, but um, this was a time before any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was. computer, Even computers, right? They're not really used. Oh, yeah, they're using typewriters. <laughs> Um, you'd mentioned this. So I just, I want to say it because I think it's worth emphasizing. This is a great film. And the most valuable thing about this film is the craft, the filmmaking on display, because sometimes this is the kind of film when you see it, like it, oh man, it's just like the best dessert you've ever had. Like it just seems so, so I think I it's so very important, important for everybody, everybody to know, to know that, that you know, yeah. so impeccably presented and arranged and composed it never missteps like he hadn't done he'd done some shorts and a couple things prior to this but for him to make this you know out of the gates i think it was a second feature i mean people would dream to have one of these in their filmography and he he does it out of the gates and it's just it doesn't misstep for a moment anywhere for me yeah yeah, it, it doesn't really for me either. I found some of the comedic beats a bit odd, but I've come to appreciate them more and more now because, I mean, that's reality, right? I mean, even in the worst of times, human beings try to lighten the mood. Yeah, and there's a certain, you know, black humor and, a, you know, coping or callousness to... Yeah, it doesn't mean you don't care. It just means that you're trying to psychologically kind of deal with something that's maybe almost impossible to deal with. Yeah. To comprehend or fathom or work through, but um, like just the way, he sh- the way this film's shot, it's, it's so tight. Like you almost feel like every scene, the direct, the, uh, the detectives are on top of each other. Yeah. There's a lot of shots of kind of the expanse of the fields and the small town, but those are contrasted with shots of people just on top of each other. They can't get out of each, out of each other's way. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, it of, just it just feels like it's it feels so handmade and so carefully done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing, absolutely. really. I mean, I just watching it this time, I was like, man, this thing had to have been planned out as planned out can be. Oh, it's just yeah, it, it's so impeccably choreographed. Uh, like I, the scene that that scene in the rain with the the field and the whistling. I mean, it's such a chilling, chilling scene. Yeah, that's a scary scene. I mean, that it's amazing how well that works. Scary scene. Yep. Um, what's not scary, but kind of, kind of wild is that Baldy theory. That, uh, <laughs> with. Yeah. Yeah. Song Kang Ho comes up with some wacky theories in here. And again, he's trying to be a detective. He's trying to be, he's trying to do his job and he's trying to do it well. Uh, but he definitely has that, you know, let's throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks kind of attitude. <laughs> he does. He absolutely does. And you know, for better or worse. But I think despite the surface sort of comedic nature of that, I think there's definitely something being said about 
the desperation, right? <laughs> I love yeah. the yeah. I'm sitting here thinking about. It. He calls him a baldy, doesn't he? Yeah. He goes, "What about that? Uh, you know, what about the baldy theory? What about the baldy? What do you think, boss?" <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, but it, it speaks to the desperation. They're trying to again um, correlation and causation, right? It's, yeah. It's, well, it's speaking to that, and it's also speaking about masculinity too, because the female character time. is the one that comes up with the song theory, mm-hmm. and they look at her like she's an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely uh, an observation on masculinity here. Yeah, which again, in a lot of his films, it's it's touched on. Talk about uh, feeling old, though, man. Talk. About, I felt old when I saw that they had to go to the radio station to get postcards for requests for songs. Jesus, I felt like the 1930s or something. It did, didn't it? And this is in our lifetime. We were kids. <laughs> Can they just call? I know, crazy. <laughs> Crazy, crazy. Um, the cast uniformly, uniformly good to great. Um, the, yeah, there's the no, there's no bad acting in this film. No bad acting. The chemistry between everyone is great. You feel, you know, the, whether it's the town folk, whether it's the police. Uh, set designs impeccable, like that, that sort of interrogation room that just feels like some sort of a concrete bunker, just awful. Um, yeah, it all it all works quite quite well. Um, trying to zip through here, I like that this doesn't follow typical beats. Like I said, we really feel lost in the woods, which I've kind of mentioned a few times. I just I think it the hopeless, kind of helpless, falling into this void. You know, our characters are flailing to just grab something, and they takes them down a lot of blind alleys. And it's um, you know, it it it's it makes for great cinema. Um, you know how, and you wonder how much of what they're what they're doing is trophy. And speaking of masculinity, how much of this is trophy and ego or prestige versus duty? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's some social stuff here. Maybe we don't quite understand because we're not Korean. So, right, right, right. But yeah, there's. I'm sure there is some cultural nuance here that maybe escapes. But there's some universal um, observations as well, like you were mentioning with the masculinity and so forth. Um, that moment when the song starts playing, you know, the back end of the rain's coming down. Mm-hmm. Again, really pulse-pounding moment in a film that is quite comfortable taking its time. Right. And those are th- those are those machinations I'm kind of talking about, those kind of manipulations that Bong Joon-ho is working, right? Like he establishes all that, and then it starts to happen, and you as the audience are like, uh-oh. Here yep. we go. I mean, you know, that, that only happens in movie world probably, right? But... He establishes all that, and you've put it together in your head. So now you see it start to happen. You think to yourself, "Oh man, we got to get out there." Yeah, that's very well done. Very well done. That, that's stuff like that's what Brian De Palma does, and some other folks do. Hitchcock did that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, where they set you up, and that way you know the rules of that story. So when something starts to happen, you start to buy in. Yes, a hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. It's really well done. Um. Yeah, uh, we'd mentioned this, but it's it's a very smart play to kind of keep this faceless, palpable dread, mm-hmm. because it, with that comes a certain anxiety and mistrust, right? Which uh, which works wonderfully. Um, uh, I don't really have a whole lot more to say. I can kind of go on and on. I won't, but like you'd mentioned, the bookend in this. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a gut punch, right? <sighs> Man. Yeah, in a moment of. You know, just kind of re- reality, kind of smacking you across the face. I don't 
want to spoil anything, but I would say when and if people see this film or if you've seen this film, there have been some revelations about the events that have, that came out in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've not read any of those. I need to check that out. Yeah. That would be of interest to those who've seen it. So okay. I'll, I'll leave that. I'll check that out myself. Cause I did. I have not looked into that any further. Uh, okay. Uh, you done then? Yeah, I am done. Yeah. So earlier some, uh, you may not have heard it, but some ads started playing on a website. So yeah, uh, folks, I apologize. I had to shut it off really quick. I know you didn't hear it, but it'll probably come through when you go back and listen to the episode. Very intrusive damn ads. Anyway, uh, make or break. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of great moments here. The opening's great. Um, you know, I had a huge jump scare uh, went during the... Um, the uh, the scene where the masturbation is taking place. I had forgotten about a moment in there and oh, it yeah. hits you and man does. And it's, it's not your typical jump scare, so I'm not going to give it away, but man, it got me good. <laughs> it really got me good. Um, anyway, um, so many good moments. Um, but I think I'm going to go with uh, the scene in the rain with the whistling and the the shadowy figure in the back. I mean that that I dude that that stuff is as scary as anything. I mean maybe it's our age or whatever, but in the background that you can see somebody back there. I mean that really bothered. I mean that really bothered me. Like it's giving me chills right now talking about it. Yeah, it was it was very very powerful. It's creepy, and then there's a misdirect and a shock moment, and it really works. And it's masterful filmmaking. I mean. I'd, I I would dare anybody to say that they wouldn't be caught off guard by that moment. So I'm going to go with that scene because it's great. Uh, MVT is pretty easy for me on this one. It's Bong Joon-ho. I mean, again, I haven't seen Parasite yet, but of all of his films, this is definitely my favorite and definitely his most masterful that I've seen thus far. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's almost perfect in every way. Uh, maybe the comedy kind of misses a little bit, and I'm always a little turned off. And it's just my personality yeah. by people taking advantage of people with mental illness and stuff. And that's something that happens in Asian cinema. It's not uncommon. We've talked about it over the years. It's not as bad here, but it's still, it's, it's pretty rough and a little heartbreaking at times. Uh, I felt really bad for, for that one little dude, man. Oh, big time. Yeah. He buys him some fake Nikes. I can't remember what he called. They're called. They're called something else. But he nice Nikes or something nice. Yeah, Nikes. <laughs> and, and you know what? There's a really there's a there's a moment with those shoes later on. Yeah, that's really great, right? And again, uh, it's something that you know it, it, it lets the viewer put some things together. Um, I'm gonna go nine out of ten on this one. I think this is for me. This is Bong Joon Ho's masterpiece. Now, again, I haven't seen everything, so I can't I can't sit here and say that forthright without knowing that I've only seen about 20% of his films. But for me, of the ones I've seen, this is him really establishing himself as one of the great filmmakers working today. And even though it's 20 years old, uh, it's it still really holds up. I, I, I mean, it holds up as good as any modern film, uh, any film made last year. I mean, it, it it's that good. So definitely check it out if you have not. 
I would say buy the Blu-ray, do whatever you got to do. If you got a Hulu subscription, go watch it now. Um, you can rent it, like Will said, or you can you know, buy it digitally, all kinds of places. But if you're a media collector, this is definitely one you need in your collection because this is one you'll revisit, I think, off and on throughout time because it's that well-made, that well-crafted. Agreed. Agreed. So this film is an, is an, an embarrassment of riches. I could take 10 scenes from this. That would be the best scene in most movies. Um, but I'm going to take the ending uh, because for a mm. film that yeah. maintains excellence and then somehow at the end elevates the nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and wraps right. it up in nicely as well. Oh, man. It's just it's no perfect. And, you know, I'm sure we're all, we all do this. You watch a film, and you're like, as you're, as you're watching that, that, that what you think is the final moment or final scene, final shot, you're like, oh, man, what a, what a great final shot. And they keep going, and you're like, oh, if they had to cut it 20 seconds earlier, this, this nails the perfect final shot. Uh, yeah, it really does. And, I, and, again, I think it's because of the way it opens. Yes. Yep, that bookend is just tremendous. Yeah, it's, the, um, the, it's innocence and the loss of innocence. A hundred percent. And so, it's, 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 uh. I mean, it's almost like he he knew that's what he wanted to start the film with, and he knew how he wanted to end the film. Now he just had to figure out everything in the middle. All the yeah, all the stuff in between. So yeah, I guess technically my make or break is going to be the bookends. Okay, right? yeah, that that works for me. I love bookends. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. don't we all? Don't we all? Um, I love I love finger cuffs too. Yeah, ear cuffs. <laughs> that's also bookends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> my uh, my MBT for this. Listen, go with any, everyone involved, but Bong Joon Ho is the the guy pulling the strings. He's a he is. This is a masterful film, and I just I know a lot of people have seen it. They love it. It's funny, Rufus, who our good friend Rufus, who you know, for my money, I'm sure for yours, knows as much and was as involved in Korean film as anyone we know. Yeah. His uh, his comment uh, when I posted I was watching this um, was very short, very sweet. Um, he said, "My favorite modern Korean film," and he's seen probably everything we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be top five. It's got to be. I'm sitting there running through some of the ones I've seen, and uh, Kim Ji Woon might have two in there. <laughs> Yeah, he's pretty great, he's but pretty uh, I'm thinking of everything I've seen, and this would definitely come up in that conversation. Oh, I agree. And yeah, that's my score is the same as yours. It's a nine out of ten. Yeah. To to give that some context, it's very rare for you and I to give out nines. Yeah, I mean eights are a little bit more common. Eight and a half. That's something that's very very good because we try to pick good stuff. Yeah, right? we yeah, yeah. But I, I know I've given out some tens over the time because of some nostalgic love, but also what I think is great. But nines are, yeah, they're they're few and far between. And this is this is as close to perfect of a movie as I can think of off the top of my head. I, I could probably even go like nine point two five, but nine was the score I had when you said nine. I'm like, yeah, it's a nine. Oh, I I could definitely go nine nine point two five or even nine point five. Even I, I I could definitely go that high. I mean this, I mean again this. If you love movies, this is a movie made for you. It's a tremendous, tremendous work. Yeah. And yeah, look at our, if you, if someone somehow has kept record of all the scores we've given, 
I would say comfortably in over 14 years, we probably have given, would you say like 10 to 15, nine our hires? Uh, yeah, yeah. Man, so th- talk about talk about a research project that would be. That would be a serious, but I'm telling you, I just, I get the sense like you look at like the devils. Um, yeah, it's not that common. It really isn't. I'm sitting here thinking about it. For us to both give a nine? Well, for us both give a nine, that's even more rare. This might only be the maybe a hand maybe a handful of times that's happened. Yeah. Over a thousand films. Two finger cuffed hands together. <laughs> yes. Exactly. To keep the uh, the uh, the motif going here. <laughs> yeah. I mean this is this is a masterwork. If you haven't seen this, just do whatever you can to see it. Oh yeah, it's it, you know you know I I I feel comfortable saying this. It's one of the fifty best films made in the last twenty years. One hundred percent, I agree with you. And like I said, for me, twenty twenty years on, almost probably eighteen years on, revisiting it, I had like a, a DVD of it many moons ago. Um, it, it it's even better. It's gotten better with age. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's the sign to me. That's the sign of a great film, right? Yep. A great film is one you go back and you're like, man, I remember that movie was really good. And you go back and you're like, bam, damn, that thing is, it's even better than I thought it was. Yep. And uh, that's, I think, why some films live on forever, like, you know, Citizen Kane and The Last Picture Show and films like that. They, they were great to begin with. But as time goes on, they just they just keep gathering steam. And this is this is one of those films. This really is one of those movies. Fine wine. Yep. All right, that is the big show for this week. Uh, We want to thank everybody for contributing, as always, feedback and whatnot. We hope you all are doing well. Next week, we're going to come back. It's my turn to pick. We're going to be sponsored by Arrow. Sent me a bunch of stuff, so I'm kind of picking through these Arrow selections I got. And uh, there's stuff in here that uh, I would have picked either way, but luckily, Arrow is putting them out. And one that I've always kind of wanted to talk about, not this particular film, but an actress that I've always wanted to talk about is Angela Mao. Uh, who was kind of like, she kind of got sold as the female Bruce Lee in the beginning of her career. And I've always kind of wanted to talk about her because, again, we we tend to, uh, we ought to do a no male um, May or something. (laughs) Because we we do a lot of films that are male-centric, so it's kind of fun to talk about female-centric stuff. And even though the film we're going to talk about is not as female-centric as I would like, it still is Angie Mao uh, earlier in her career and them trying to sell her. Uh, so we're going to do Lady Whirlwind. Arrow just put out a double feature disc of uh, which is only thirty bucks, and you get Lady Whirlwind and you get Hapkido. So um, I would recommend people definitely buy that because uh, Lady Whirlwind alone is worth thirty bucks. But um, oh well, for connoisseurs, I should say, I'm not giving my way of my review. But if you love martial arts films, I'm certain you'll. If you've never seen Lady Whirlwind, you'll like it. Um, but that's what we're doing. We're doing Lady Whirlwind. And uh, we're going to be sponsored by Arrow again next week. And I'm looking forward to having that conversation because uh, I don't think we've ever done any Angie Mao films. I mean, she worked with Carter Wong quite a bit and everything. And I don't know if we've done any of that stuff. I don't know that we have. And I've I've always been a big fan of hers. Um, It'll be great to talk about her, man. I'm glad you're finally bringing her to the the forefront. Yeah, it's kind of amazing when I was going through and doing the list of directors and everything of everything we've done. It's kind of amazing the directors that we've done either one film by or no films by. Cuz yeah, it's true. It's, I'd forgotten we had done Mother, right? Yeah, yeah, we saw it at the uh TIFF in 2009, I believe. Crazy. 2009, 2010, some one of those years. 
to revisit that one. I've wanted to for a few years now. Mm-hmm. I have too. It. Uh, I remember it's a little. It's a little rough around the edges, uh, emotionally. Uh, might be a little tough. That that would probably be a tough rewatch for you. Yeah, more yeah, so yeah. than me at this point. Man, that would be. Yeah, I don't know. You might want to wait a couple more years on that one. I know. That, 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 yeah, that that that. Yeah, yeah. Is there a good time for that? Really, I don't know. It's oof. that's a. Uh, yeah, I but I remember being emotionally invested in that quite a bit. So, all right, so uh, I think that's everything. So, uh, cue up your lady whirlwinds, and uh, we'll see you next week. And I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com, and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.